I almost, I almost said good afternoon there. Still, when I'm at Kintour, I have to tell myself, don't say good morning when you stand up at Kintour. So with us all being together, I had to think through, is it morning or afternoon? It's morning. So good morning. It is absolutely brilliant to be together as one big uh, wider church family. Um, Ian made a comment uh, at the start that it was hopefully going to be a shorter service. Well, normally our services are about one and a half hours times two. So that's three. So it will be a shorter service. We will be done in less than three hours. I can promise you that. Um, but apart from that, it's been absolutely brilliant to hear uh, from the Soul Survivor bunch. It's been brilliant to hear from, from Martin. And uh, I hope... You have a heart that would say, uh, God, help me see it as brilliant now that we can come around your word. So let's just maybe relax about time. If you need to leave, just leave. Uh, but we're just going to come to God's word now, which is uh, what a gift that is. What a gift. Well, it's been a big uh, week in the news this week, hasn't it? There have been lots of things kicking about, but there's been sort of two major items that have dominated the news cycle. Uh, one newspaper tried to capture both of these in one go with the headline, John Sun, S-U-N, at the end of it. Um, just that word, uh, and it was uh, accompanied with a rather unsettling picture of Boris Johnson's face bursting out of a picture of a sun like a sort of post-watershed, scary tel- Teletubby spin-off show or something like that. It, it, was, it was very unsettling. Um, but those are the two big things that we've been thinking about. It's been hot. I hear it was pretty hot at Soul Survivor, was it? For the most part, a couple of rainy days. But it's been hot and we have a new prime minister. Now, both of these topics are related to the theme of today's sermon. We're looking this morning at what do we or who do we desire? Desire. Not so much meaning what do you fancy for lunch, in a wee while. That's not so much the desire that I'm thinking about, but rather, what are the desires, the hopes and dreams of your heart? What are the things that you come back to again and again in life? What are those things that you want? What are those things that sometimes you think you need? Those things that have become woven into the fabric of life from week to week. What are the things that you hope for to the extent that if you don't see them come to pass or you, or you fear they may never come to pass, you can begin to feel quite uncomfortable? Well, these two topics in the news this week have, have been related to that issue of desire. So, so with the sun, of course, there's a sort of frivolous aspect to that. How much sun do you desire? We are a strange bunch in this country, right? We complain about the sun not being there. And then when it comes, everyone starts tweeting or Facebooking about how they're too hot. And they want the sun to go away. So there's, there's that issue. How much sun do you desire? But actually, more seriously, when the sun comes, the sun comes, the warmth comes. We have time outside. We have time with friends. There's a sense of rest that comes, hopefully, in these summer weeks. And for many of us, at least, when the sun comes, it gives us a chance to to really feel something that we desire deep down in our hearts. We, We often speak of the joy that comes through such times. People will post photos of themselves sitting by the side of a pool, you know, with those weird hot dog legs, they call them, right? And reading a book. And, and the reason they're posting that is because they're saying, this is, this is it, this is, this is happiness for me. There's, there's something lovely about that. And, and there's something that in this season, when the sun comes, not so much right now, right? But when the sun comes, 
There's something that awakens these deep desires in us. Desires for peace, for fun, for rest, for fellowship. The other news item also speaks to issues of desire, maybe in a quite different way. You know, it's no secret. You'll see in the news this week, some people are anxious and upset. Others are hopeful and encouraged. And then there's maybe a lot of people in the middle who don't quite know what to think. But as these news reports come of the new political government and things, and as we talk about them together, either in friends and family or on social media or things like that, these issues of our desires come up again. Who do we desire to be? As a nation, what are our key hopes for this country? What do we perceive as our needs in this country? What are our priorities as we look to the future? And of course, then does our new prime minister and his government, do do, do they align with what we perceive to be our hopes and dreams and desires? And regardless of your answer to that question, the point is that the, the breadth and significance and strength of these feelings on these things underlines the importance of this issue that we're talking about, the various desires that move and sometimes govern how we feel and how we live. Because here's the point. What we desire shapes how we live. What we desire shapes how we live, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, what we become anxious about, how if we have them, we will bring our kids up, the way we speak to our colleagues and friends. So this psalm is about what do you desire? What do you want? What do you want to chase after in life? If you get the chance one day, we don't always get the chance, but if you get the chance to look back on your life and to reflect on it, what would you like to be the summary about you regarding what it was that you gave your life for? What it was that you aspired to and desired in your life? We're going to read from Psalm 73. I'd encourage you to, to find your way there either on your device or there's, there's Bibles at the back. If you, if you would like to go and get one, please get one. I think Matthew's kindly going to put the words up on the, the screen. But I absolutely just want to take a moment in quiet. I loved what Hannah shared. What is it that would keep you hearing God's voice today? Thank you, Hannah. I can't see you. She may be out with the kids. Is she for sharing that? Let's just take a moment and let's just in quiet before God say, go, what? What's one thing that would keep me from hearing from you today? And just offer it to him. Just surrender it to him. God is here by his spirit. Thank you, Father in heaven, that you're here. Thank you that you speak to us. Please do that now. Please work in us. Shape and mold us, I pray. Bring our desires into line with what you would want for us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, Psalm 73. A psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. 
For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Amen. This psalm is a song of struggle. If you picked it up as we read that together there. It is really the testimony of this guy called Asaph, who's one of the worship leaders appointed at the time of King David. And it charts a journey that Asaph made from envy and angst in the end, to ultimate peace. And I don't know, maybe it's a journey he repeatedly made, because for me, there's so much in here that we can relate to. Envy and angst, and then somehow, by God's grace, finding peace and rest in him. His struggle, his stumbling, as he puts it there in verse 3, is, sorry, in verse 2, is one of envy. I love the honesty of verses 1 to 3. He starts by sort of telling us the, uh, the sort of quote-unquote right answer. You know, he says, truly God is good to Israel. 
You know, and, and, and if you've grown up in church, you learn to know what the right answer is pretty quickly. Is God good or bad? Good becomes the, 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 the quick answer. And uh, I could do that this morning with today's message. I could say to you, you know, we're talking about desire. Well, what should Christians desire the most? And you would say to me, well, Martin, it's not what should Christians desire most. It's who should Christians desire most. And the right answer, Martin, is God, right? We could all do that. Well, many of us could at least. Um, so often we know the right answer, but then if we're honest, the stories of our lives can tell a different story. They can give a different answer. And this is what the psalmist is being honest here. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Why? What's the problem? Verse three, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then basically from verse 4 through to verse 15 of this psalm, he explains this nature of this almost stumbling of his. He explains his disappointment, his frustration, his sense of injustice. And the issue is this, that to put it crudely, the bad people seem to get on well in life when the good people seem to struggle. And, and he leads us through his stumblings right throughout this psalm. As he does that, we're confronted with this issue of desire. What are the things that we desire? We first of all see this in what the psalmist highlights regarding those who are wicked, as they're called in verse 3. Now, when he says wicked there, we bring all sorts of connotations to that word wicked, like that we would say there, would be, there has to be some sort of horrible behavior that we would all agree uh, should be easily seen and condemned. But the way the psalmist is using the word here is basically to refer to those who have no heart to regard God or his ways. That's what he means by the wicked. We know that because that word's used in that way right across the Psalms, but also just because the way he describes who the wicked are in this particular Psalm. So see if this sounds familiar, the picture that the Psalmist paints. They are, in verse 3, it says they're rich. In verse 12, it speaks of them getting richer. In verse 4, he speaks of them having no worries. If they were to go and watch The Lion King, they would enjoy the song, Hakuna Matata, no worries. Uh, They are, as it says in verse 12, always at ease. Verse 4 speaks of them being healthy and strong. Verse 5 speaks of them being free from trouble. In verses 6 and verse 8, it speaks of them being proud and desperate for power and willing to embrace violence to get that power. Verse 7 is a tough one. The translators don't really know what to do with verse 7. There are some really difficult verses in the Hebrew in this psalm. Verse 7 is one of them. It says there, their eyes swell out through fatness. The Amplified Bible interprets that as they have more than their heart desires. Their eyes just are, can't, there's so much that they want and they have more than their heart desires. And then verses 8 and 9 speak about the way they use their words and how with their words they cut others down and they threaten others and they mock God and they, as it puts it there, they strut through the earth with their language. They're using arrogant words. Now, is not this a picture very close 
to what our culture generally, generally lifts up as greatly desirable. I mean, obviously no reasonable friends of ours here today would say that violence, violence and malice are good desires. But the other things, money, <coughs> comfort, health, no worries, no troubles, power over others. Is this not what we in the West lift up as the good life? And are those other darker elements listed here, violence, malicious words, and so on, are they not the consequences of people chasing far too hard after all of these other apparently admirable things? Don't we see those consequences time and time again, whether you're talking about politics or gangs, whether you're talking about business to sport, you see these sorts of things coming through. The point is this. Dear friends, it's very easy for us to join with Asaph and look down at the, at the quote-unquote, the wicked. But let's not be too quick to do that here this morning. But let's look at our own desires, our own idea of what we really want and need in life. And let's reflect on how close we are to falling into these traps that are all around us in the culture in which we live. The point is this, that the wicked... In Psalm 73, had no desire for God. And instead, they were filling that gap with desires for lots of things that our culture cherishes as good and worth giving your life to. And then, of course, there are a few consequences of what happens when those things become ultimate in your life. And dear friends, we need to be aware that we breathe in the air of this culture day by day. Money, comfort, prosperity, influence, power. We breathe that in, in the adverts we see, in the media we consume, what we see in our friends and family, and how we play the game of business. In so many ways, this is the, the air that we breathe in in our culture. And we need to come back again and again to ask God, are my desires, is what I'm really chasing after in this life? Is it what you want for me? Are they aligned with you and with your heart? So we see some of the desires here of the wicked. And then we see some of the wrongly ordered desires of the psalmist himself. Verse 3 makes it so plain, right, what he's after. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He's He's envious. What is envy? Envy is seeing something else that someone else has that you think looks nice and you want it. You desire it. I mean, can anyone relate to this? He's looking on at those around about him who seem to have it all together, who seem to have the good life. And he's just wanting a little bit of that. And he's feeling a little self-righteous about it. He's worked really hard and it's not worked out for him. Why is it worked out for that person? I think we can all relate to that to some extent. But that envy takes him deeper into another desire, another disordered desire that our culture is steeped in. The psalmist wants answers from God about why this should be the case. How can God let the world function like this? 
There's language similar. This is called a wisdom psalm. There's language in here which is very similar to the book of Job. Listen to verse 12. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. And again, can we not relate to this? Is this not a desire that we have all had where we would say to one another or to God, how can God let the world work this way? Why did this thing happen? Why did not that thing happen? Why is this happening to me? Why is not that happening to me? God doesn't know what he's doing. This isn't fair. It's this desire that we all have for God to hear from us how things should really be. It's one of the desires that prompted Adam and Eve to eat the fruit in the garden. They wanted to eat the fruit so that they would have the power and knowledge and wisdom that God had so that they would be able to to tell God how things should truly, truly be. This is the stumbling and the slipping that Asaph is referring to in verse 2. And dear friends, still we here, we in our culture, we stumble and slip in this regard. How quick we can be to shake our fists at God when tragedy comes or when things just don't work out as we hoped or as we think they should have. Failing again and again to embrace the reality that God just might see a bigger picture than us. That God just might understand a little more deeply than us. And has he not shown himself again and again faithful, good, loving, even in tragedy, even in tragedies like the death of his son? You see God's purposes. We've been singing about that, right? How God turns things that we perceive as evil, things that are evil, things that are not aligned with God's heart, how he turns them for good, for his purposes, for his glory. Dear friends, let us not shake our fists at God or become endlessly weary trying to make sense of every detail of struggle in this world and in your life. Sometimes we just have to let go and trust God. And I have to say, one of the great gifts of being part of Contour and Hillview Community Church is that so many people walk through tragedy and trial and suffering and loss and heartache and pain and struggle and they don't shake their fists at God. But they surrender. They say to God, I trust you. I don't understand this. This is not easy. I'm devastated, but I trust you because you've shown me who you are. What a gift to be part of a church family like that. What a gift to be taught and instructed by sisters and brothers who are walking that path well, even right now. It can be wearisome trying to figure all that stuff out. Lay that desire down. That's what Asaph did. Look at verse 16. He turns to God. When I thought about, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me 
a wearisome task. And it is, right? You could, you could spend the rest of the years that you have on this world trying to figure out why some things happen to some people and others to other people. And it, it's a wearisome task. It ends in heartache and struggle. And then we have this most beautiful phrase in verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Everything gets better, friends, in the sanctuary of God, in the place of God, in his presence. Everything makes more sense in the sanctuary of God. Do you ever have that feeling where you're lost, angry, upset, or confused, and then you find yourself there with God, and your heart begins to change. For me, it's if God grants me the grace, and sometimes I'm stubborn and obstinate, and I stay in that place far too long, but if God grants me the grace to put on a worship song that's meaningful to me, and within almost two minutes, my heart's different. I've remembered who God is. I've remembered that he's good. I've remembered that he is wiser than me. I can close my eyes and breathe in and out the wonders of God and everything changes. Life seemed in turmoil until I went into the sanctuary of God. Now what's interesting is nothing has changed for the psalmist. His circumstances have not changed, but he's found peace. He's found peace and he's found something else. He's found understanding. He's found a better perspective. And verses 18 to 20 are that better perspective. They are are the turning point in the psalm. It is basically the psalmist coming to his senses and realizing that God knows what he's doing, that the wicked will not triumph. God will. And that is such a hope for us to hold on to. God will right every wrong that has been done to you in this world. Every wrong. And, and, and all the, the punishment for the, every act of evil in this world are dealt with on two ways. They're dealt with on the cross of Jesus Christ or they're dealt with in the final judgment of God. No evil or wrong will go unpunished. Believe that when you hear the news. Believe that when someone speaks a horrible, unfair word to you. Believe that if you've suffered abuse that no one knows about but you. Every evil act will be dealt with. And that's what verses 18 to 20 are about. And then from that realization flows these beautiful last verses where the psalmist says this, in light of that, in light of the fact that I can trust God, I know for now God is enough. God is enough. God is more than enough. His circumstances haven't changed, but everything is different. Because why? Because he's remembered who God is. And in that, his desires are completely reordered and reshaped. Look at verse 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. But dear friends, that's not where God leaves us. God is a God of grace. God should not put up with embittered, brutish, ignorant beasts like us. But the first word of verse 23 is a miracle. Nevertheless, I am content. I mean, nevertheless, that's how it was, but nevertheless, I mean, it sounds almost flippant, doesn't it? But it's not flippant, as we'll see. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, 
you will receive me to glory. So here's how these next verses work. Verses 23 and verse 24 are the truth, objective truth, that lead us to respond like verses 25 through to the end of the psalm. How do verses 23 to 24 happen? How do we come to be with God? How can it be that God reaches out to hold our hands, grubby and dirty though they are? How can it be that we can know guidance and wisdom from God? How can sinners like us be received into his glory? How? It's because of Jesus, right? It's all because of Jesus, all through what Jesus has done. We don't deserve any of that. But the nevertheless points to Jesus on the cross who made it possible for us, points to Jesus' resurrection who made it possible for us to share in that new life. And he offers verses 23 and verses 24 to every single person here today. Because of Jesus, this can be fact for everyone, just truth, whether you feel it or not. For anyone who is in Christ It is a fact that you are continually with God. He's holding your right hand. He's guiding you. He will receive you into glory. And then as we know that, as we believe that, as we cherish that, as we hold on to that, new desires spring up in us. Better desires. True and correct and right desires. And then these are maybe, maybe my two favorite verses in the Bible. You've heard me say that like 15 times, right? Whom have I in heaven but you? God, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There's no one like you, God. There's no one like you who would, who would use the word nevertheless, despite my brutish horrible, evil ways. There's no one, there's nothing on earth that comes close to you, God. No weather, no nice feeling we get in the sun, no political reality, no financial reality, no person. You hear that? No person, no lifestyle, no job, no family picture that comes close to who our God is. In fact, dear friends, it's important for us to remember every single one of those things I just mentioned will pass away. My flesh and my heart and my what? You put it in. Whatever, whatever you're chasing after in life may fail. My flesh and my heart and my health. My flesh and my heart and my family. My flesh and my heart and my church. My flesh and my heart and my money. My flesh and my heart and my independence and autonomy may fail. All of these will pass away. Even the breath in our lungs will pass away. But God, but God is the strength of our hearts and our portion forever. That language of portion points back to the way 
God used to provide for the Israelite priests. They, they had no land that was theirs. They couldn't accumulate possessions. But God would provide for them. He is truly all we need. We are programmed in this culture to seek to grow or to build or at least to maintain and protect our portion, that which is understood as ours. And, and which is why when those things fall away, we can so easily blame God for that. But God will never fall away. That portion will never be taken away. Dear friends, what hope is this? What hope this has been to many of our brothers and sisters in this church who have known tragedy, loss of health, loss of loved ones, loss of possessions. They have found that God was their portion. He is their portion and he will forever be all that they need. So if you're in a time of, 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 of peace and prosperity just now, preach this truth to yourself in these so-called sunny days. Ask for the Holy Spirit to reorder your desires and your delights so that you can say, God is enough. You're enough for me. Whom have I but you? God, you're my desire. Now, we're coming to a close now. That doesn't mean that we live in some spiritual bubble. You know, it's interesting the way that Asaph puts it, right? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. I mean, that's not strictly true, right? I mean, we, we sometimes criticize worship songs when they use these broad phrases that you say, well, that's not true. Well, well, here, Asaph's up to a bit of that. There is nothing that I desire besides you. Well, really? I'm sure some of us are desiring lunch right now, okay? And, you know, I, and I, was, I joked about that before, but it's not a bad thing to desire food or drink. It's not a bad thing to desire leisure and rest. It's not a bad thing to enjoy the sun or to endure the rain. It's not a bad thing to enjoy connecting with those around about us. But the point of this psalm is that all those delights, all those desires should lead us back to God, the fountain from which all our springs of blessing flow. All of these other desires ultimately exist so that we can enjoy them as gifts from God. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And then the psalmist then closes by reiterating God's sovereign rule, his judgment over all those who would oppose him. And then he says in verse 28, but for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. What do you desire? I mean, our young people have had a, a week away to sort of recalibrate their lives. And who am I going to be about? But we need this every single day, every single week to, to, to reflect on this. What, what are you desiring? Do you know God like this? Yes, we stumble and fall just like Asaph did. But do you want to come to him? Do you want to be near him? Do you, do you know that you need him as a refuge? Then this morning, come to him. Who have we but him who will never, ever let us down? May we as a church family in Kintor and here 
may we grow in our desire for life with God like this, that we would cherish him way above anything else. Would that be seen in everything that this church does, in every prayer meeting that we have, in every ministry that is run, in every time of worship here or in Contour on a Sunday, in everything that is done, would there be a thread that flows through that says, we are about you, God. There's none like you. You're the strength of our heart. You're our portion. You're all we need. Oh, God, make that be the case for this church, I pray in Jesus' name. Would all our desires find their rightful place in him? And then, the last little few words, right? Would we then take that reality, that rightly ordered life and desire, and then would we tell the world of his good works? Would we tell the world that he's enough? He's enough. Everything else is going to break down at some point. God's never going to break down. God will never leave you. Let's know it. Let's love it. And let's share it. Let's pray. Father, by your Holy Spirit now, praying for a miracle, we're praying for you to change us, set us free from whatever slavery to other things that will pass away that we're experiencing in our lives. Set us free, God. Shake us from our inclination to safety and security, to affluence, to power, to control. Spirit of God, break those chains in our lives, I pray. Help us see them for what they are. Lies. That, that we would hold on to these things, that we would grow our portion, that we can rest in those things. Those are lies. Break us free from that. And I pray now by your spirit, draw us into your heart of love. I pray that we might be able to say, there's nothing on earth that we desire beside you. And all the good gifts that we enjoy, that we would see them as that gifts from you. And that we would love you in those moments, cherish you in those moments, and share this good news with the world in need.